Well, it's a tremendous privilege to share with any of God's people um, truths from his word, to point to him, to reveal Jesus, who I have to tell you is the great passion of my life and have been ever since I was eight years old. Um, and it's even more so the fact that it's here with all of you. And here I am, a little Welsh girl across the sea. Um, you've become my family over this last eight years. And it has been, I hope I can say this without crying, <laughs> the desire and passion of my heart to share with you. And so it's a really great privilege this morning. And I just really have nothing amazing to say in and of myself. I'm not going to tell you anything amazing about me because truly there isn't very much. I am going to tell you about an awesome God this morning. Awesome. And I really hope that in the worship you took advantage of that time to really just have your heart softened before him. I'm going to need tissues. <laughs> I don't know why, but as I've got older, I find it harder to talk about God and not, not cry because he's, he's just like everything to me. So you can ignore the tears, they'll pass in a minute. The, um, the worship songs this morning were, were a perfect preparation, so I hope we can kind of get back to that tender place we were at just a little while ago. And I want to just start by um, asking you to have an open heart before God, wherever you're at this morning. Maybe you don't even know him yet. Maybe you've never received him into your life, but as we sang this morning, you, you wondered about that love and that mercy and what the cross could possibly mean to you. Or maybe you've been a Christian for many, many years and maybe things have got a bit stale for you or maybe your heart is really tender. I don't know where you're at, but I'm absolutely convinced of one thing this morning. God is here to meet with us. God is here to meet with us. He's here to meet with you. And if you will have your heart open to him, he will show you things this morning that even if you've been a Christian for many, many years, have not penetrated. We never get to the end of knowing him. We can never exhaust in our whole lifetime knowing him. And we're going to have an eternity to see him and to be in awe of who he is. So even if you've been, even if you're the oldest Christian here, just pray with me now that Jesus will be revealed. That the glory of the Lord will be here. And that we sang about that. That just means that we see. God as much as we can in our humanness for who he actually is, not who we've made him to be or we want him to be, but who he is, who he is. So let's just pray together. Holy Spirit, you are so welcome and you are so needed by us. You are our wonderful counsellor and you are the one who shows us who Jesus is and shows us who the Father is because in our humanity we can't get there, we can't see him. And so, Holy Spirit, come and through your word, speak life. For some, maybe the very first time, that new life breathed afresh from you. Your salvation coming to birth in someone. Oh Lord, for those of us who, who are Christians, maybe many years or maybe just a few years, that we will see you and comprehend things about you this morning as never before. We welcome you. We need you. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to, um, 
I'd like you to turn to 2 Corinthians 1, and I'm just going to use four verses as a springboard for this morning's message, and there will be, it'll be projected there, this is actually from the New American Standard Bible, and I'm going to be using different versions um, throughout the message this morning, so um, you can follow along as they come up there, or you can use your Bible, that's, that's up to you. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, and all the saints, that just means Christians, saints who are throughout Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, And God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by. Right there is the springboard for what I want to this morning. One of the excellences of God, and that's his mercy, the Father of mercies. And maybe this morning you think, well, why, why would I need the mercy of God? And if you have never been aware or confronted by sin, what sin is, the fact that you are a sinner in God's eyes, no matter how good you think you are, and sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, in attitude, or in actions. That's what sin is. And if I asked you to hold up your hand, anybody here who has attained moral perfection, I wonder whether anybody could. And if they thought they could, they'd probably just been released for the weekend from somewhere. We all know, don't we? None of us have achieved moral perfection in attitude. None of us conform to the perfect standard of God. And that, in a sense, is the bad news. Without the bad news of sin and the fact that God has said it has to be punished, there is no good news, which is there is mercy. There is mercy. And in the Old Testament, God was described as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that denoted God's covenant with those forefathers so that those who came after them could look back and go to God through that covenant and say, you know, God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And that's where they could rely on God to behave in certain ways or fulfill certain promises. But right here, we have a whole changed scenario because Paul is saying of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it points to Jesus Christ as a mediator. It points to a covenant between God and man that was established in Christ Jesus. And that's the basis on which he's our Father of mercies. So we can expect him as the Father of Jesus Christ when we're in relationship with Jesus Christ to act a certain way to behave a certain way, to fulfill certain promises, not because of us, but because of Jesus Christ. He's the father of Jesus Christ, and therefore the father of us when we have received Jesus Christ. 
what is, what is this father like? What is his nature? And no doubt back then, just as today and has been throughout history, all kinds of fathers would have been represented and have been received, just like in this room today. We have good fathers, we have bad fathers. We have loving and kind fathers, and we have harsh fathers. We have control freaks, and we have those who refuse to discipline and guide their children. We have giving, generous fathers. We have stingy, mean fathers. And it is vitally important that if you are in relationship with Jesus and you are saying, he's my father, I have a heavenly father, you need to know, who is that father? Who is he? Because if any of us, no matter how good our earthly fathers are, if we look to them to try and work out who God might be, we're going to be very disappointed. Because he so exceeds everything our earthly fathers can bring. And especially so if you know you had a cruel, abusive, neglectful father. All the more so, dive and plummet through scripture to find out and to know who your heavenly father is. So that you can put aside the things of the earthly father and know who your heavenly father is. And right here we have, who is he? He's our father of mercies, of all the characteristics of God that, he, that are here, that can be chosen to summarise. It's the father of mercies. Father of mercies. That just captured me. Just, I spent months thinking about this now because that just struck me. Father of mercies, what does that mean? What does that mean? And to know God... In any capacity, to know Jesus, to know God, in scripture, the word know means knowledge about God fully, personally, precisely, and correctly. And there's only one way to really do that, and that's to study the word of God. That is where we find out who he is, fully, And then when we're open to it, not just to learn it up here, but to embrace it, to take it on bottom lives, personally, precisely and correctly. There are all kinds of ideas out there in the world about God. But do you know him precisely? Do you know him correctly? Do you know who he is? Not who you want him to be. Not who you were told he was. Not who you prefer him to be in political correctness, but who he actually is and always has been. Do you know him precisely, correctly, fully, personally? That is what it means to know God. And that is what you need to know about him as a father of mercy. So, let's look at this passage, the striking Element. He's a father of mercies. So first of all, let's think about what is mercy. And Vines describes it as this, the outward manifestation of pity. It assumes need of the part on him who receives it and resources adequate to meet the need on the part of him who shows it. That's pretty cool. So mercy, we have need 
But God has the resources to meet that need. And not just that, he expresses pity over it and over our state to not be able to help ourselves. Thea describes mercy as mercy, kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and afflicted joined with a desire to relieve them. So again, we have God's desire, his emotions towards us. There's a strong emotional element in the mercy of God. God feels for you. The Father feels for you. He's not distant. He's not absent. He's not untouched by your pain and your suffering and your weakness and your failings. He feels for you. He aches for you. He has mercy on you. That's what it means. And therefore, he is motivated out of his resources to supply your need in your hopelessness. And that is the heart of the salvation story. Because we're told in scriptures and many other places in scriptures that God showed, so he showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, he died for us. What is that? It's his mercy in action. He loved us in spite of a hopeless state we were in. And his mercy motivated him to do something about it, which was to come up with his rescue plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. So let's look at the characteristics of the mercy of God. Try and look at it, even if you've been a Christian for many, many years, with fresh eyes and ask yourself, is this what I not know up here about God, but by I truly believe this? Is this how I feel God responds to me when I go to him in my need, when I go to him when I've blown it again, when I go to him in my sin? Is this what I believe the Father is like? So let's just look at these. This is very simple. I've just picked out scriptures from the Bible, and there are many more examples of each one of these. I've just picked one example from each of these points. First characteristic of God's mercy is it's tender. Luke 1, 78, because of and through the heart of tender mercy and loving kindness of our God, a light from on high will dawn upon us and visit. God's mercy is inexhaustible. Psalm 103, but the mercy and loving kindness of the Lord are from everlasting to everlasting upon those who reverently and worshipfully fear him, and his righteousness is to his children's children. His mercy is abundant. The Lord is long-suffering and slow to anger. Do you believe that he's quick to get angry with you? Or do you believe that he's slow to anger? abundant in mercy and loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression. God's mercy is rich, but God, so rich is he in mercy, because of and in order to satisfy the great and wonderful and intense love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, by our own shortcomings and trespasses, he made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. 
His mercy is steadfast. Return to my relief, O Lord. Deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love and mercy. His mercy is abounding. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy and loving kindness and truth. His mercy is eternal. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy and loving kindness endure forever. His mercy is immeasurable. There's more, folks. Did you know there was so much about the mercy of God? His mercy is immeasurable. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great are his mercy and loving kindness towards those who reverently and worshipfully fear him. And his mercy is boundless. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his boundless mercy, we have been born again into an ever-living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. That is awesome. Let's just look back at a summary of that. His mercy is tender, inexhaustible, abundant, rich, steadfast, abounding, eternal, immeasurable, boundless. Does that sound stingy to you? Does that sound in short supply ever? Does that sound like you could ever blow it bad enough that there's no mercy for you? If we're honest, how many times have we pictured God on his throne, all stingy, all stingy with a little box of mercy? And you know, you know you've blown it again. And you come to God, oh, I know I came yesterday. Actually, I came back an hour ago. I can't go again. I can't go again. Just waiting for your audience. So you pluck up the courage. You're going to go to God. You're going to say, I know I've blown it. I'm so sorry. And, oh, it's you again. <laughs> Weren't you here a little while ago? Yes? I'll just see. No, sorry. You're all out of mercy. Uh, you used it up yesterday. You know, you'll have to wait for it to fill back up by doing lots of good deeds and being perfect for a while. It's inexhaustible. It's abundant. I can hardly contain myself because it's just like incredible to me. I mean, I've been, I gave my life to the Lord when I was eight years old. And he gets more and more incredible to me every year. Every year. Because I know God is merciful. But when I come to study this and I start listing it and I could have put a zillion scriptures for every one of those points, God is telling me something. He is merciful to me, a sinner. I like, it's incredible how much he loves us. We've got to let it sink in. Because honestly, we are stingy people. What we are putting on God is what we are like. Isn't that the truth? Aren't we stingy with our children when they fail? Aren't we stingy with our husbands and wives when they let us down? Aren't we stingy? And well, that's just one last time and there's no more mercy for you. It's all used up. And we think God is like us. 
But he's saying, I want you to be like me, inexhaustible in your mercy, boundless. And it's not, this is not something God does. It's who he is. It's his natural state. It's his disposition. You go to the mercy of God. It's not like having a little box. It's like standing under the Niagara Falls with your arms open and it just plunging down on you. Mercy, mercy, mercy all over us. From everlasting to everlasting. Next year, he will be merciful to you. It's a money-back guarantee. And I'm not selling you anything. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. Tomorrow, when you're mean to your kids, and kids, when you're rude to your parents, and you offend them, there's mercy from God. Please, God, make us merciful like you are. It's not what he gives, it's who he is. Just say that. It's not what he gives, it's who he is. It's not somewhere in a bottle, it is just who he is. You go to God in humility and repentance, you will get mercy. You will. You don't need to come to the front and ask someone to agree with you, it's a done deal. You will get mercy. You will get mercy, you will get mercy, you will get mercy, you will get mercy. Byron, tomorrow you will get mercy from God. Angie, tomorrow you will get mercy from God. You are going to blow it. I am going to blow it. And do you know what? We are going to get mercy. I could stand here and say that all day long and I'd be preaching to myself because even now I don't feel like it's gone in. Because this is something way beyond what we can comprehend. Way beyond. But it's why we need to, in our own lives, in our own private lives, learn about God, read the word, worship him, spend time with him. Because the more we know him precisely, the more we are going to become like him. And the more when people encounter us, they are going to know... Do you know, I, really, I think I really offend her, but do you know what? I'm going to find mercy, because she is merciful. Jane is merciful, so I'm not going to be afraid to go to her when I've blown it. I want my children to know they're going to find mercy with me. I want my friends to know they're going to find mercy with me. I want to give myself mercy, for heaven's sake. <laughs> you know, sometimes we're the hardest on ourselves, aren't we? How about me being merciful to me for one day? That would put a smile on my face, wouldn't it? So, it's, it's his natural state and disposition. It's not going to change. You can rely on it. Exodus 34 is a fascinating... I need to keep my eye on the time too. It's a fascinating passage about where God is giving Moses... He's wanting to communicate his moral law, his standards, who he is to the children of Israel. Moses goes up, gets the Ten Commandments. By the time he's come back down, they've blown it, big time. They've been melting their gold and the jewellery they've taken from Egypt and they've made themselves a lovely golden calf. They're dancing around, woo! Because let's face it, I mean, the golden calf they've made for themselves is surely way better than the living God. So, 
they've blown it big time. But God, being merciful, says to Moses, get back up here. I'm really mad with them, obviously. But get back up here. Let's give this another go. And Moses says, oh, I can't do this without you, God. Don't just show me your glory. You've got to show me who you are. I can't, I can't take these people anywhere unless I know your presence goes with me. Have you ever felt like that? You need to be with me or I'm not moving. And it's so awesome. So Exodus, and this is in uh, the message, yes. So it's a paraphrase, not a translation. So Moses cut two tablets of stone, just like the originals. He got up early in the morning, climbed to Mount Sinai as God had commanded him, carrying two tablets of stone. God descended in the cloud. Look at this bit. I love this. Took up his position there beside him. God takes up a position next to Moses, gets alongside him. Love that. Called out his name. So this is who God chooses to reveal himself Passed in front of him and called out, God, God, a God of mercy and grace, endlessly patient. So much love. <clears throat> so deeply true. Loyal in love for a thousand generations. Let's hope I can finish this. And I was thinking, if you had wayward children who'd already blown it, and you're giving them another chance, I was thinking about me as a teacher. The number one mistake I would have made when I had a new class full of 35, five and six-year-olds would have been to chosen to present myself other than Firm, disciplined, then I can soften up later when I have them right where I want them. But you go in soft first of all, they'll run you all around. <laughs> and I just blew my mind thinking about that. God knows they've blown it, they preferred a golden calf to him, and how does he choose to reveal himself? God of mercy, loving kindness. Isn't that a bit soft? Is that a bit weak? Aren't they just going to run all over him again? Aren't they just going to let him down? Yes. Yes, they are. But it's who he is. It's who he is. And so he's going to be true to who he is. And basically he's saying, here are the moral laws, here are the Ten Commandments. You are going to blow it. And you need to know, above all things, I am merciful. Isn't that incredible? You know, many people say they can't relate to the God of the Old Testament, so they don't even bother reading about God of the Old Testament. That's like it's another God. I'll just, I'll learn about Jesus. I'll read the New Testament. But do you know there's three times as much mercy in the Old Testament as there is anger? Mercy was the plan of God from the very beginning. The whole of scriptures tie up beautifully together in one constant picture, one consistent picture of the mercy of God 
and of him putting a plan in operation to extend mercy to us through his son, Jesus Christ. In the old covenant, there was, within the tabernacle, the mercy seat. The mercy seat was a sign of God's presence and a place of atonement. Every year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest entered the Holy of Holies, sprinkled the blood of sacrificed animals to cover the sins of the people. And the Hebrew word mercy seat means cover over, pacify, make propitiation. Have you heard of that word? Make propitiation. But then we read in the New Testament in Hebrews that God was saying, you know, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to pay the penalty for sin. I was holding back my wrath, my anger. I was providing a way for me to forgive them, but all through those years up to Jesus, I was holding back my rightful wrath at the sin that there was in the world. Because the bulls of goats, the sacrifice of animals, is not going to pay the price for anyone's sin. Until Jesus comes along. So in the Old Testament we had a day of atonement, we had a mercy seat, we had the sacrificed blood of animals, and we had a high priest who administered that for the sins of the people. What do we find out about Jesus? Because Jesus was God's mercy manifested to us. Hebrews tells us he is the radiance of the Father's glory, the exact representation of his nature. What did people cry to Jesus when they passed him? Jesus, look how well I'm doing. Jesus, do you think I'm doing a good job? Or Jesus, mercy, mercy. (coughs) Paul refers to the tender mercy of God. (coughs) I'm going to need more water, GA, I'm afraid. Not usually short for words. (laughs) (coughs) Tender mercy. We read in the gospel accounts, Jesus wept at the death of a friend. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. He was described, bless you dear. Thank you. He was described as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was familiar with grief. Jesus was familiar with grief. A man of sorrows. He was tender. 
So, everything in the Old Testament points to the ultimate way, the plan God always had from the beginning to pay this penalty for sin so that we could receive the mercy he had waiting for us. So we had the mercy seat, the high priest, the sacrifice. We read in Hebrews, Jesus is the high priest. Thank you. Thank you. <coughs> Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to understand and sympathize and have a shared feeling with our weaknesses and infirmities and liability to the assaults of temptation. <coughs> but one who has been tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sinning. Do you enjoy hearing me sucking up? It's lovely, isn't it? <coughs> this is a first for some of you, isn't it? To hear me speechless. It's amazing. So Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is also our sacrificial lamb. John the Baptist said, Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was his blood that was shed. And it was spotless. It had to be a spotless sacrifice. Jesus was the only human being who ever lived through life. It wasn't just his death that was part of the times. I don't know whether you realise that. It wasn't just that Jesus had to come and die. You know, God could have downloaded him. You know, there you go. You go be killed. Right now, job done. No. He had to live a spotless, perfect human life in order that he was the perfect human sacrifice. He's the only person who ever lived a spotless human life. So it, the atonement isn't just about the cross and the resurrection. It's about the life that was lived up to it, the cross and the resurrection. The whole of the life of Jesus had to be spotless, had to be submitted to God so that he could, when he poured out his blood for us, it was acceptable to God. And then this last one I had never seen before. Must have read it, never seen it before. Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is the lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice. Jesus is the mercy seat. He is the mercy seat. mercy seat bit. <coughs> God put forward before the eyes of all as a mercy seat. That's why we say he's our everything. He's our all-sufficient one. He's our high priest. He's our mercy seat. He's the blood that was shed. He's everything. I need to point now to a very sober point. We've looked at the awesome mercy of God. We've looked how Jesus 
was the ultimate manifestation of God's heart of mercy in providing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. But there is a difference between the general, unconditional mercies of God and the particular, conditional mercies of God. The general unconditional mercy of God we find in places like Matthew 5. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. It's unconditional. Lamentations 3. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. For his compassions never fail. Then you every morning, great is your faithfulness. The fact that you and I are in here today breathing in spite of our sin is an unconditional mercy of God. The fact that there are, frankly, monsters out there still breathing is an unconditional mercy of God. But there are particular conditional mercies of God. In Scripture, we come across a recurring phrase, in Christ, through Christ. So Ephesians 2, 1 to 10... The Message Bible, paraphrase. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. Yet you let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy, and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up, set us down in highest heaven in the company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us where he wants us, with all the time in this world and the next, to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. While God's nature and disposition is merciful, he has set conditions as to how that eternal mercy will be received. This is not politically correct. It's a public health warning. What follows? His mercy is not administered haphazardly. It's not like, make it up as you go along. It's all right. I'm merciful. Does it really matter how you get to me? So, you know, you want to do good works? That's fine. You want to go that route? That's fine. You were born into a good family. Full marks there. Oh, you go to church every week. You're in. No. It's not haphazard. It's actually very specific. It's administered through the person of Jesus Christ. That is how God's mercy is administered. And quite frankly, he has the right to say so and to set it up that way. A very inadequate example I'm going to give you. You're Minnesotans, and in Minnesota, unlike Europe, 
but I am Minnesotan in this now. You very respectfully, you take your shoes off in one another's homes, don't you? What if I came into your home in the winter, having tramped around a field, and I had really muddy boots on, and I stood in your doorway, and you looked at me, and you looked down at my feet? Can I come in? Sure. Just take your shoes off. No, I don't want to. I'll come in anyway. No, you, you need to take your shoes off. This is my home. I don't want the carpets ruined. I prefer not to take my shoes off. So I think I'll just, uh, hang on, no. This is my home and my rules. If you're coming in, you need to take your shoes off. But that's not fair. That's not fair. No, actually, I've got a fantastic meal prepared inside for you. We're really looking forward to welcoming you. You can put your socky feet up on my coffee table. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to love all over you. But you just need to take the muddy shoes off and come in the way I've said. Now I have a choice, don't I? I could stomp around in my muddy boots with all the other people in the world stomping around saying, but I want to get in my way. I want to get in how I want to get in. I want to get in with my muddy boots on. Let me in. inside in that very inadequate example don't we there's an indignation that rises up in here in us like it's our home we have a right to say no we have a right to say we don't have boots in the house but you're really welcome the doors open as long as your boots aren't on come on in we know that don't we why then do we have so much problem why does the world have so much problem with approaching an awesome, merciful God who has given his own son to be cruelly murdered and sacrificed for us? It's not just an open door, it's a cross of Jesus we have to go through. Doesn't he have the right as creator of the universe to say how we get in? Who are we to say, I'm just going to bypass the sacrifice of your son and come on in. It's audacious. It's audacious because he said anybody can come. Just take your boots off. I don't care, don't care whether you're in India or China or even Wales. <laughs> you just have to do it my way. That's the one condition of the mercy and then when you've come in my way you are going to be lavished I've got the whole of eternity what do we just read to show a grace and kindness on you why are we so stubborn why must we do it our way it's sin his mercy is for all the provision is there we just don't want to take it His mercy is not generic. That's bad news, I'm afraid. 
It's not going to be, we'll all get there in the end. It's not. Not if you believe the Bible. You can believe that if you want, but it won't help you when you come face to face with a holy God. We're all free to believe exactly what we want to believe. But it doesn't make it truer on the other side of eternity. It won't become true because you believe it to be true. It's either true or it's not. And an important point here is this. I've brought before you how awesome the mercy of God is this morning. And it is. And it's awesome love for us. And it is. But if you only focus on the mercy and love of God and not who he is, remember, knowing him precisely, correctly, if you only focus on that and you choose to want to just have cosy, fluffy feelings about God and who he is and not see him for who he really is, you're in a lot of danger. Because not only is he loving and merciful, but he is righteous and he is holy and he hates, hates, hates sin. He cannot stand the presence of sin. He loves you, but he doesn't like your muddy boots. He says you can come, but you've got to take your muddy boots off. He hates sin. And we have to take that seriously because we cannot kid ourselves that one day, and I've even heard people say this to me, well, I'll just tell God, if, if that's right at the end of the day, I'll just tell him I am a good person. And I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Look what they did. I've never done that. And I think I'll be able to come in. Do we really believe that we are going to be able to persuade? I mean, don't, if you're picturing that, aren't you picturing yourself standing up? Standing up to God. I should get in, God, because of this. I mean, if you have ever had any experience of being confronted by your sin and in the presence of a holy God, there's only one place you go. I've been down there many times. Down. You get down on your face as low as you can before God. And you say, God, I am so sorry for my sin. I am so sorry I've offended you. There is no standing in the presence of a holy God burning with wrath against sin. There's only one place to go. And everybody, every atheist will go there. Every king Every celebrity, every human being will go there. Down. There is no standing. We will not be demanding justice. It's not fair. What will we be doing? We'll be pleading mercy. Mercy. I see you now. Mercy. Mercy, God. Mercy. 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 And then he'll say, did you come? Have you come as yourself? Or have you come the way that I have made for you through my 
precious son and his blood. Have you come the way I've said? And if you are standing in eternity before a holy God, and you have come in Jane Grant Abbon, in Julian Grant Abbon, in Cerise Honerbrink, and not in Christ, there is no coming in. He cannot let you in. He's done everything to communicate to the world. But there will be no persuading at that point. There will be no justifying, and there will certainly be no crying. It's not fair. There will only be cries of mercy, mercy, mercy. We should not be fooled into believing that his general mercy, which we live in now, where sin carries on, where the vilest of people carry on breathing day in and day out, that that will go on without judgments being dispensed. Don't we want judgment for Pol Pot? Don't we want judgment for Hitler? Don't we? Don't we cry out for it in our innermost being? Don't we want judgment for rapists and murderers? Don't we want that? Do we want judgment for us? Who's to say but God where this judgment is waiting? What it is? And what we live in now? <coughs> A time where that judgment is delayed is not going to last forever. Revelation, the very end of the Bible. If you need to go, you can go, but I'm going to finish this. <laughs> Points to what's coming. Immediately I was slain in the spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like jasper stone and a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald appearance. And that throne, that's a, a picture that for something for us to grasp, it's going to be woo, may more so than that. The jasper signified the glorious perfections of God. The sardine stone, that signified the justice of God. Justice in not only pardoning sin, but in punishing sin. And the rainbow around the, the, the throne spoke of the everlasting covenant. And it was green because it pointed to the reviving and the refreshing nature of that provision of God, his covenant. So let me ask you, thinking of that scene, can you or I claim glorious perfection? Whose lifelong record of perfection would you rather rely on when you're standing before God one day? Yours? Or Christ's? 
able to believe you've earned God's approval by your life? Or will you be relying on the life of Christ which you've chosen to live in? On what basis will you be crying mercy? Because you will be crying mercy one day. But on what basis? And God will administer or not administer his mercy depending on what basis you are trying to ask for it. People don't want to think about the justice, the judgment, the holiness of God. They just want to think about a warm, fluffy, loving God. But that's not who he is. We have to know him for who he actually is. Why does it matter? Because it's a matter of life and death to every person here and every person on the face of the earth. That's why it matters. J.J. Packer said this, the substance of Christianity is faith in the forgiveness of sins through the redeeming work of Christ on the cross. But on the basis of Santa Claus theology, sins create no problem and atonement becomes needless. Behind every display of divine goodness stands a threat of severity in judgment if that goodness is scorned. If we do not let it draw us to God in gratitude and responsive love, we have only ourselves to blame when God turns against us. The goodness of God is meant to lead you to repentance. Those who decline to respond to God's goodness by repentance and faith and trust and submission to his will cannot wonder or complain if sooner or later the tokens of his goodness are withdrawn, the opportunity of benefiting from them ends, and retribution supervenes. So I have a question to leave with you. And I'm going to um, say how I'd like it to go from here. I'm aware of the time. But I'm also aware of not rushing away from God's presence. So I want to provide a safe and quiet place in here for people to stay and linger, pray, if you feel you want to be hit the floor. So I'm going to ask that you please respect that. If you need to go or want to go, and you could plenty of room to socialise at the back. If kids want to stay and do business with God, they can. But we're not going to have running around and playing. We're going to have business with God in here today. Can you, is that okay with everyone? So this is, this is church. So this room today is for business with God. Maybe you have never received Christ. Maybe you never even realized that you need the mercy of God. Maybe today is the day that you do business with God for the very first time. And then your life becomes devoted to pursuing and following and knowing God. Maybe you're a Christian who is constantly beating themselves up. You are very aware of how you fail. And you've believed that mercy is going to be in short supply for you. And today is a day for you to come and just bask. Meditate on it. Think about it. Boundless mercy. Just be here and contemplate on the Lord. 
and the mercy he has for you. But maybe you've been enjoying being a warm, fluffy Christian and you only like to read the scriptures and you only like to think about his love and you don't really take sin and how you live your life seriously. Because, oh, he's going to forgive me. He loves me. But no, today, maybe you've seen afresh that I have not been seeing who God truly is. He is holy and righteous, and I need to balance this up. So everyone is welcome, young and old. And I'm going to ask, I want to ask Tom to just come and play and worship so that we've got a background and atmosphere of worship. And you're free to be in here as long as you want and where you want and how you want. Because this is what church is, isn't it? It's where we do business with God together. But if you need to go or want to go, this is the end of the official part of the service. But this is where anybody who wants to be under Niagara waterfalls for a while, this is where it is. And I'm not even going to pray because I, I just feel like God's going to do what he wants to do with each of you. It's, you know, you know what's in your heart, you know what, what's going on. So you can, you can pray. You don't need me to pray. <laughs> I'll be praying for myself. <laughs> you know. So let's just proceed quietly and, and, and use the time as you, you see fit to, to let God move in your life.